The following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church in Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. Today's the last talk on this series called Peacemakers, and if you've missed any of the talks, you can sign up for our podcast and get those every week, or you can go on our website and uh, uh, download those messages. You can listen to them on your phone, uh, at home, on your computer, whatever you like, and uh, I encourage you to go ahead and take advantage of those tools that are available to you. Uh, this... This thing called conflict presents to us a variety of challenges, and we've talked about a bunch of those in the series leading up to this, but one of them today we want to talk about specifically is conflict with another Christian. So it's from Christian to Christian, from sister to sister or brother to brother, as we like to say, or conflict between you and your pastor or a pastor or a person in leadership within the uh, community of faith here. So we have four pastors in our church. You would have conflict with one of them. And that's what I want to talk about today. And uh, so, of course, it's a little bit, uh, I think, odd and awkward that we, I would be talking about this. And I have never done this before up until today. Um, the first couple of years of our church that I was here as pastor were uh, some pretty intense years of conflict. And so I, I, uh, today I come to you in strength and in confidence because um, I don't know of any conflict that's currently happening uh, between myself or anyone here at the church or uh, any staff member. And so God has brought us into a season of peace and a time of peace and, and unity in our church. And so it's a great time for us to really uh, go after these things and talk about it and see what Jesus has to say about conflict within the church. I think the first reaction to this is, this is not right. I mean, this, this shouldn't be happening, right? There shouldn't be conflict in church. And Christians shouldn't act that way. And if it happens to you, I think the first reaction is just, you know, just disappointment or shock or disbelief. How can this be happening? How can another Christian treat me this way? And uh, just surprise and disappointment. I remember the first time I had conflict within church. When I first became a pastor and experienced some conflict, I thought to myself, you know, they didn't mention anything to me about this in Bible college. And if I had known that this is what it was going to be like, I would have stuck with that other career I was pursuing. And so today I want to just set you free and give you some tools and the power and the grace of God to be able to handle something that is going to happen to you. You can count on it. You should expect it. It is going to happen. You are going to have conflict within the church. And if you don't, you're just like just a rare, strange thing and you just you don't have any, well then God bless you. You are super blessed because the rest of us, it's going to happen. It should be expected. David, King David, wrote about this in the Old Testament in the book of Psalms and uh, Psalm 55, verses 12 and 13. He says this, It's not an enemy who taunts me. I could bear that. It is not my foes who so arrogantly insult me. I could have hidden from them. Instead, it is you, 
my equal, my companion, and close friend. And can't you identify with that? I mean, if you, you, you're, you know, you're out in your day and somebody you don't even know, complete stranger, is insulting you or offending you or gives you the bird or whatever, you know, it's like, it's like, whatever, leave me alone, you weirdo, you know, you freak, just, just leave me alone. I don't really care. I don't go home and cry to my wife. You wouldn't believe this guy. I didn't even know. He left, he left gave me the middle finger. You know, it doesn't bother me. I don't care. You care less. I don't know the person. But it, when it's my brother, when it's the one I've been going to church with for 10 years, when it's my pastor, when it's my small group leader, when it's one of the ushers, when it's the nursery worker, the Sunday school teacher, when it's somebody in the church, that's a whole nother matter, isn't it? That is where it really cuts deep. Now, the reason this is a regular part of life is because it's a part of the sin, a part of the curse that is caused by sin. And Adam and Eve sinned. It opened up this gateway of sin on the world and this curse upon the earth. And the very first thing that happens right after that sin is conflict. It's a battle between Cain and Abel. It's a big fight. And it is so ugly that it ends in Cain murdering his brother. So right from the beginning, we see that sin produces conflict. It's a part of life. It's normal. And so Jesus talks about this. He teaches specifically how to handle conflict when it's another brother or sister. So turn to Matthew chapter 18. It's in the New Testament. And uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. And Pastor Trevor, would you grab me one of those water bottles? That would be just great. Um, And so Matthew chapter 18, this is Jesus teaching. And he's saying, here, you want a better life? Let me explain how you can have a better life because you're going you're gonna to encounter conflict. And uh, here is what you do. This is how you handle it. And it'll go so much better for you if you'll do it this way. In verse 21, Peter is you know, reacting to apparently some sort of conflict that's going on. And thank you. And so uh, he says to Jesus, he says, well, how many times are we supposed to forgive somebody when they offend us? And And he thinks, you know, the Pharisees said three times in one day. So Peter, you know, being the magnanimous person that he is, he says, how about seven? Seven in a day. And, uh, of course, Jesus, he sees his heart. He sees right through all that. He says, you know, no, no. He says, try 490. And it says the disciples said, oh, God, give us more faith. Because they were blown away by that. Are you kidding me? Uh, somebody offends me in a single day 490 times. And he wasn't just using a number. So that's not like you can just, you know, have somebody sin against you 490 times and you, you stop. He was just saying, basically, there's an infinite number. It doesn't matter. It could go on forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Forgiveness is required when it's Christian to Christian. And then he goes on, he says, so let me explain this to you. Explain what I mean by that. Oops, I lost my microphone. He says, let me tell you a story. And it's right after that verse, um, a little bit past verse 21. You can see it there. We call it the parable of the unmerciful servant. And so he tells a story and he says, you know, if your brother sins against you 
and he's sorry about it. He says, oh man, I blew it. I, I really hurt you. Please forgive me. Then you are obligated at that point, you are legally bound by God to forgive. And if you don't, if you are unwilling to, if you are unable to, then this is what God will do to you. Take a look at verses 34 and 35. Remember, he's illustrating the kingdom. He made the story up to describe how God thinks about conflict. And he says to him, your brother comes to you. He's sorry. He's repentant. But you don't forgive him. Then God himself will turn you over to be tortured until you change your mind and forgive. Pretty amazing statement, isn't it? Literally, that God will not let it go. You've got conflict with another Christian. They're sorry about it. And you won't forgive them. So now God then holds you accountable. And God will allow you to be tormented and tortured. Maybe it's not physical. Maybe it's in other ways. Until you change your heart and you're ready to forgive. Now, that's not the case if they're not repentant. So, you have conflict and they are not sorry about it at all. They're still continuing to fight with you. Well, then forgiveness in that point is still your responsibility to forgive because that's implied in the whole story. But God isn't going to hold you to that and you'll be uh, tortured and, and punished because you're not forgiving. It is only when they are sorry about it and then when they... Uh, ask, when they ask for forgiveness. So he lays out a step-by-step process in dealing with all of this. It begins in verse 15, and I want to go through these step-by-step. I'll try and go quickly so this moves along here. Verse 15, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out his offense. Now, it's important, I think, to notice he's talking Christian to Christian here. And he uses the word sin. Okay? If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. So you can see he's outlining a process. And the way he's describing the process is the person unrepentant, right? You go to them, they say, up yours. You go and get a friend, they say, up yours. You go to the church, they say, up yours. And finally, we end at this place where we're treating them now as a non-Christian. That's how he describes the process. Now, There's so many misunderstandings in this, and I think uh, mistakes that are made in leadership and in people within church because they don't really understand what Jesus is talking about. And here, let me just throw in a little bit of important Bible reading knowledge that's really important. You cannot take one verse out of the Bible and then make a, 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 a belief based on that one verse. 
Because Jesus talked a lot about conflict. And Paul talked about conflict. And John talked about conflict. And God has included all of the word together there to teach us. And so you can't say, here's one verse... And then, and then apply that because that will then conflict with another place where it's talked about it by someone else. So it all has to make sense, right? We call that understanding or interpreting Scripture within the context. It's another big word called hermeneutics. We won't go into that. And so you have to understand uh, this passage in light of everything Jesus said about conflict and Paul and Peter and so on and so forth. You get it? All right, so... If your brother is repentant, it's over. Boom. Done deal. Okay? He said, sorry. I'm very sorry. It's it's genuine. It's real. Then in that point, it's over. You forgive that person. You move on. You move on to the other things or whatever things are necessary. If they're not repentant, it's a different matter altogether. So we're handling these two things differently. And sometimes what happens is... Churches will haul a leader up front. So this leader has been, you know, caught in a sin, has been confronted. He's sorry. He repents. She's sorry. They repent. And they still bring them up in front of the church and make them make a big public confession. Okay? The problem with that is that goes against what Jesus said right from the beginning. Do it in private. So how did we get from confront your brother in private to Hauling them up in front of everybody. Well, only when they are non-repentant, right? So the pastor's caught in a sin and he's just rebellious and he says, tough luck, I, I enjoy adultery. Okay, or whatever it may be. Then, then in that case, that comes before the assembly. But if that's not the case, then it's, held, it's, it's dealt with privately. And we work with that pastor or that leader and we help them walk through this process of healing and restoration or whatever it may be, whatever they need to help them. I mean, think about it, folks. If every time I sinned, I had to be brought up here in front of the church, in front of you to tell you about it, I don't think I would stay the pastor very long. Because I sin pretty much every day. Okay? Don't look at me with that tone of voice. We all do, right? Where's grace? Does that apply to leaders? You bet it does. You bet it does. And so it's, not, it's, it's when the person is unrepentant. Okay? They've been told. They've been told by two or three people. They've been told by the leadership team. And they're still, still resistant to it. That's when we deal with that. So step number one is this. Overlook minor offenses, right? We've learned, we've learned this. We talked about this for weeks now. If it's minor, blow it off. That's why he says sin. Okay? Jesus doesn't say, if you're a brother offends you, go to him. He doesn't say that. He said, if he sins against you. Because I think we're offended all the time by all kinds of things, right? We're offended by the color of shoes people wear. We're offended by their football team they support, you know? I'm highly offended if you like the Steelers. I'll just tell you right now, okay? I don't like you. Uh, The Steelers are the team of the devil, and I hope and pray they lose all the time. I'm still very bitter over the Super Bowl, okay? Maybe I'll get over it someday. But 
that's just an opinion. That's my taste buds. That's my flavor. That's what I like, okay? That's not a sin against you or a sin against God. It is not a sin to hate the Steelers. Now, somebody's going to come back at me, well, well, we shouldn't hate people, but come on, all right? Don't, we're not talking about offense. And here's the difference. You hurt my feelings because you didn't say hi to me in the hallway. And that's true and valid, okay? But that's not the same as you sinned against me because you lied to me, okay? That's a sin, all right? And Jesus is saying, here, separate it out right from the start, right from the beginning. Figure out, are we talking about sin or offenses? And you know what happens in a lot of church conflict? There isn't a single sin to be found. It's amazing. You, you boil it all down. The pastor's not sinning. The people are not sinning. But they are fighting to the death over the color of the carpet. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> I mean, come on, folks. We, ha- we used to have... A, I shouldn't say this, but you know I'm going to do it anyway. We, we used to have a painting here. And, you know, we hung, it was hanging up. And, you know, I just, one day, you know, I talked to a couple people. I'm like, you know, is that sacred painting or whatever? And they're like, no, that's just painting. So, okay, well, let's, let's, let's take it down and we'll put it away. You would have thought we just voted to outlaw the cross. I mean, people were just irate. Okay? That is not sin. Okay? So, separate out right from the beginning and decide, is this serious? Is it disputable? Is it something that can be overlooked? Can I extend this person mercy? Are they a weaker brother? All of those things go through that process first. Then number two, time, uh, talk to the person in private. That's what Jesus says. Step two, so you decide, you know, it's worth talking about. Go to them in private, face to face. Time, place, method. All those things apply here in step number two. Make sure the timing is right. Um, And make sure you've done the work ahead of time, removing the log out of your own eye and looking at your own motives and checking to make sure you're not just going to beat the person or to beat them down or to prove that they're wrong and all of those things that can get so murky. Make sure it's not, you're not angry. Uh, you know, we don't have permission from God to verbally assault people. Right in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, if you take that passage that Paul's teaching about conflict and overlap it on this one that Jesus is talking about, we see that you must go to a person and be gentle with them no matter what they've done. No matter what they've done. Go to them gently for the purpose of restoring them. So if you see a pastor or a leader who is just a hothead and they're screaming and yelling and cursing at people, okay, that is sin. They do not have permission to do that. That is wrong. God says, no, no. You've got an anger problem. Deal with that first. So what if things go badly? What if they don't listen to you? You go to them in private and they blow you off. Step two. Step three. Step three is do it again. Go back again. Uh, Can you see the grace of God in this? His kindness, his patience, you know? Uh, God deals with us over and 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 over. Okay? He's touching us to do the same thing. So go to the person again. This time, though, take somebody with you. One or two people. How do you do that? Two ways to do it. One is by mutual agreement. 
So you call them up and you say, you know what, Bill, I really wanted to handle this between the two of us, person to person, privately. It didn't work out that way when we met. So I'd like to meet again. This time I'd like to bring Joe with me and, and say, are you okay with Joe? You know, Joe's going to be there. Are you all right with that? Okay. Hopefully you can agree on one person that you both respect. You both trust. And you can go into step two. Now, what if they don't? They say, no, I don't like him. I don't trust him. Well, is there anyone? No. No, there's nobody. Okay. Then we have another problem. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul's talking about conflict. And he says to the Christian Corinthian church, he says, listen, I'm saying these things to shame you because there isn't a single person in your whole fellowship with enough wisdom and insight to help you work out a disagreement. Are you telling me there's not one single person that both of you can trust to help you work it out? Instead, you're hauling each other off to court and you have a secular judge and lawyers involved and you shame each other and you shame God and you shame the gospel. So work it out within your fellowship, Paul says. So maybe the person isn't agreeable and you go forward anyway because Jesus doesn't qualify his statements on that. He says you do it and you do it this way. And it's best to inform them. Never set people up, you know. So you say you're going to meet with them. They don't know you invited two people. They show up. There's three of you there. That's a setup. All right? Let them know in advance. Step four, tell it to the church. Here, I think in this step, we make a lot of mistakes. And what happens is we are not following these steps the way Jesus told us to do them. And it becomes all messed up and all quirky and weird and dysfunctional. Sometimes what church leaders do is um, there's no sin involved. It's opinions and we can't agree. All right? And so what they do is they tack onto it sins to legitimize this process. And they'll say, well, he was disrespectful to leadership. Or he was not obeying my commands. Or he wasn't listening to me. Or he was rebellious. Or he was, you know, uncooperative. And the Bible says you should respect your leaders and listen to what they say, which is true. But then taking other little things and attaching it onto it. Let's keep it clear. What it is is what it is. And let's don't murk it all up with all these other issues. Step number five, treat the person as an unbeliever. Now, if you're an unbeliever here this morning, this doesn't mean we're treating people as second-class citizens or like they're less than or whatever. That's not, that's not the implication at all. It's like um, when we're talking about conflict, it doesn't give us the right to treat people badly, right? Or to look down on them or to despise them or any of those things. What he's merely saying is, Remove from that person all the privileges that come with being a follower of Christ. For example, communion. That person can't receive communion anymore. That person can't be in leadership. That person can't fulfill their calling that God has given them. Their calling is stopped. It's hindered by conflict. Um, financial support. In some cases, uh, the person can't attend services, you know, because it's bad for the rest of the people that are involved in the conflict who are all pursuing peace, and then you got one person that won't, is rejecting it all along the way, that person needs to be separated out 
for the rest of the fellowship. And the reason why is because Christians should know better. Christians should know these things. And it's not that it's just happened, right? We're at step five here. So this person has been told once. They've been told a second time with two or three witnesses. They've been told a third time with the leadership team. And see, you know, it's now this person is now resisting all of this all along the way. We're talking about rebellion now. We're talking about blatant rebellion and resisting the process of peace. Now, the Bible addresses one more category along this same lines. It's very similar. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 5. A couple of verses I want to point out. Wrap this up. What happens when you have conflict with a pastor? Okay? And, you know, it's one thing to have conflict with a friend, another Christian. Okay? It's a whole other issue when it's with your pastor. It's more difficult, all right? It's more, there's more involved. It's, it's a harder thing to deal with. And so Paul talks about it to Timothy. He says, the verse, chapter 5 of 1 Timothy in verses 19 and 20 says, Do not listen to an accusation against an elder unless it is confirmed by two or three witnesses. Those who sin should be reprimanded in front of the whole church. This will serve as a strong warning to others. So is he contradicting what Jesus said about going in private? Well, we'll take a look at it. First of all, don't entertain an accusation. This is an additional step when we're dealing with leaders. And here's the reason why. There's a reason why there's more proof involved that needs to be established. Because these people live in a glass house. Okay? We stand up in front of you. And we speak, and the way we look, and the way we talk, we are open prey to accusation. I mean, it's easy, right? It's so easy. I mean, I compare it to a guy sitting on the, you know, the 50-yard line, and he's fat and out of shape, and he doesn't ever play football. He never played football, doesn't know anything about football, but he's critiquing every call and every play on the field. You know? It's like, hey, get your rear end out there and see how you do. I know personally I would last about 10 seconds if I was on the field with the Seahawks, okay? These guys are giants and they're pros. Are you, you're critiquing every call the ref makes, okay? Last week that was reasonable from going forward. That changes. But it's easy to sit in the seat of correction. And so Paul's saying, listen, the devil is the accuser of the brethren, He's already after these guys night and day. So we need one more layer of protection for them because one false accusation can destroy a person's ministry. And so uh, we don't even listen to an accusation. Don't even think about it unless it is confirmed by a few. Now, he says, rebuke them publicly in front of everyone. Now, We overlap this with Matthew 18. And what we see is that when we talk publicly about a leader's sin, it is because we've already gone through one, two, three, four, five steps. And all along the way, that leader has resisted repentance. You see? So all along the way, they've just told you to stick it. You know, I don't care, I don't care, I don't care. 
That's when we come before the church. Now, if that person is repentant, they're sorry, they're caught, then there is no public discussion about this, right? So now we understand what Paul's talking about. Timothy, you can't just haul people up every time they sin, right? We wouldn't have any pastors anywhere. They just wouldn't exist. It'd be impossible. Now, last week I told you that I would talk briefly about conflict with God. And I want to just take a minute or two and talk about that, and I'll be done. Um, as I said, conflict with each other is hard. Conflict with a pastor is even harder. Conflict, conflict with God is even harder. It's more difficult. And here's the reason why. He's perfect. He doesn't sin. So really, from that basis, we have no conflict, right? We have no right to say anything to him. You look at Job, you know? Job was ticked off. He was mad. He was disappointed. He had all these bad things happen to him. And he said, God, I want an answer. I want an answer. I want to know what in the world is going on. I demand it. And God said to Job, he said, really, Job, you want to understand this? And then he goes to this long description about the animals in the universe. If you, if you looked at it, it's amazing. And it's almost like God is saying, listen here, Job. If I were to explain to you how things work in the universe, it would be like me, or like you, Job, trying to explain the universe to your goats. Jesus said he compared us to sheep. He said, we're a sheep. Isaiah said that, right? We're a sheep gone astray, right? So it'd be like you, and I know you probably don't have sheep. Maybe you do. I know the Seleskis have sheep, don't they? So you're explaining to your sheep how the universe works. I don't think they're going to understand you. And so what happens is God doesn't act the way we want him to. You know? It's not that he's doing anything against us. It's that one, he doesn't explain himself. And he doesn't do for us what we think we deserve or what we think he should do for us. Let me explain that a little bit. It's sort of like this. You're swimming in a lake, wonderful, beautiful, clear lake in Washington. And uh, there's nobody else on the lake. Maybe it's late in the evening. You know when it's just like glass, smooth, you know. So you're out there, you're enjoying the lake, and just without notice, fog rolls in. And then you're all of a sudden in really big trouble because you can't see the shore. You can't see the dock. You can only see a foot in front of your face. So you swim like crazy in one direction. You don't arrive at anything. The water just gets deeper. So you go a different direction, different direction, different. You're out there. You're flailing around for hours on end. You're screaming, help, help, anybody, anybody, where's the dock? Help, help, call out to me. You're panicking. You're fearing for your life. You're about to drown. Okay? That's how it feels. That's exactly how it feels. When you are up against some sort of difficulty, maybe you're sick, or maybe you need a breakthrough. You need, you know, you need 10,000 bucks by Monday or you know, whatever challenge you're facing, trial, 
And you're calling out to God, God, help me, help me do something, please. Silence. He doesn't say a word. And he doesn't run in and save you. And you feel like you're going to die. That is when the conflict begins. And in your heart, you say, you know what? This isn't right. You know, this isn't right. You know, I'm a father. I have kids. And if my son was out in the lake and he was about to drown because he couldn't see where he was going, I would help him. I would call out to him. I would throw him a rope. I would jump in the water. I would do anything I could to save my son. God, am I a better father than you? Because you won't help me. See, in this conflict, it begins to develop. And it's a disappointment with God and how he just doesn't respond to us like we want him to. And so what he said to Job was, Job, even if I told you, even if I came right down and explained it all to you, you see, Job, this is why you're suffering. This is why your children died, blah, 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 blah. You wouldn't get it. We'll do nothing for you. At the end of all of it, you would say, can you explain that again? Because it would be like me explaining it to a goat. Or maybe a fly. You see, the universe is beyond us. And God's world is beyond us. And so, what do you do? (laughs) I think you focus on the unseen world more than you focus on the seen world. You see, I can't explain why I feel sick every day and why I feel pain. And so if I focus on just that, then this conflict begins to brew between me and God. But if I look to the unseen, I see in that world that God has already provided for my healing. He is, all, he is grieved about it. It bothers him. He wishes that I would not have pain and suffer. And so he's made provision for it to go away for all of eternity. And in that perspective, the fog opens up and I can see a way. I have hope that God is with me and for me. Now, that probably didn't explain away all of your answers and all of your concerns. Especially if you've got deep conflict with God. So here's one more bit of advice. Give somebody a call. You know, I'm doing this more and more. I have a friend in California. I call from time to time and I just say, David, you know, I'm really just, this is really getting to me. And he can lift me up and encourage me and uh, share with me what he sees God doing in my life and help me and encourage me. You call somebody, ask for prayer, keep moving forward. Now, What's the point of all of this talk about conflict if we don't do anything about it? All right? We're fooling ourselves. And so I want to encourage you this morning. Maybe you're a Christian and you've been a Christian a long time and you just really struggled with this whole thing. It's been difficult for you. 
Well, I got to let you know, now you're, now you know, you know five steps and you're held accountable to that. And you'll never be able to say to God, I didn't know because he's going to remind you of this and say, John laid it out for you step by step. You knew better. And so God's going to hold us to that now of following those steps. And maybe, maybe you, uh, you had conflict with another Christian. You started step one and it didn't go well. And so you gave up. And I want to encourage you today, go back, start that process, and begin to believe God for grace and help in moving through these steps. Don't ignore this. Don't push it aside. It is a better way.